You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Good morning. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Uh, It's cold, and so we were trying to uh, decide if we were going to survive this weekend or not. And the fact that we made it into this building is a miracle in and of itself. So we're from Oklahoma. We're not used to this kind of weather. Uh, But I was telling somebody earlier, uh, when it's cold in Oklahoma, we just run from heater to heater as well. So it's not really not that much different. And uh, I was just thankful that our Suburban started this morning. And uh, that was a win right away in the morning. And uh, uh, I really have a lot more respect for South Dakotans after feeling all this. So... Um, I'm, one of the other things I'm thankful for, we got here this morning, there were men outside shoveling. I know uh, there was a, Brother Heath was up here a good part of the day, Brother Charles, some other uh, men just helping, uh, you know, get the snow removal. And that's a part of life that we're going to have to get used to as well. Um, but it went off without a hitch, and I'm thankful for it. And it really is a blessing to have men that are willing to do that so we can get in here in, in, in this, for the services this morning. And uh, we've had a, a really good time so far today. I'm thankful for uh, the Sunday school hour. Brother, Brother Chad uh, pre, uh, t- taught this morning in Sunday school and thankful for that. I asked him to do that just to kind of, so I could just observe and, and, uh, and just kind of take some things in and he did a great job. I'm thankful and encouraged by that. And um, I just want to say, I start by saying thank you to Eastside Baptist Church for uh, not only just allowing us to be here this weekend, but for your show of support a few weeks ago in that vote. And I know uh, I've told many, uh, many people that, brothers, really that's, a, that's more of a testament, I feel like, to Brother Spencer's leadership than just about anything. And the fact that he uh, led you to that and you followed him uh, in that and getting a 100% vote was just a huge encouragement for our family and just another stamp of confirmation in our hearts um, that this is where we're supposed to be. And uh, we're excited about the possibility and the potential, and, and we're excited about getting here. Honestly, we would have been here already if we could have been. Uh, just to give you an update on where we are, why don't, why don't you go ahead and turn to Psalm 49 while I'm giving you this short update. I might go into some more details tonight. We'll stand in just a moment. Um, Psalm number 49 and, uh, but while you're turning, uh, just to kind of give you an idea of where things are for us, uh, we are still waiting for our house to sell, and we've had uh, a number of showings, and we've had people show uh, some interest, but we haven't had any offers yet, and, uh, and that's just the way it is sometimes, and um, the, the market in Stillwater in Oklahoma is pretty slow right now, and we're, they're expecting it to pick up. Typically, it picks up in the springtime. And so uh, we're expecting that we'll, we'll have a lot more people out and looking and, uh, and maybe even interested uh, in taking some secondary steps. Um, and we've already had one that came and looked, and then they asked some follow-up questions. And so we're grasping for anything positive right now. So we felt like that was positive, that they were uh, asking some follow-up questions and you know how it is when you sell a house. You, you, you could either be in a day or it could be three months. And you just have to wait on it. And we are in a position where we're very dependent on the Lord right now. And we know that he's the one that has to do this. And it kind of takes it out of our hands, doesn't it? And uh, it takes a little pressure off of us because there's not much we can do. We're waiting on his timing. But at this point, Lord willing, what we're planning to do 
is whether or not our house has, has sold there in Stillwater, uh, we, we intend to be up here uh, for our first Sunday to be on March 31st. And so we'll book in the month of March, being here on the first Sunday today, and then the last Sunday, um, again, if the Lord allows all that to happen. Um, and, be, and in between that, well, part of the reason that we're waiting uh, that long, obviously, if our house hasn't sold, we're just giving it as much time as we can. Uh, but also, my pastor, uh, his it, down in Stillwater, his anniversary is next week, his 20th anniversary service. And I've been there for uh, all except for about a year and a half of his time there in Stillwater. And it's a big service, and they're, they're um, doing a lot for him. And we just felt like it would be the right thing for us to be there for that service, uh, to just to honor him and be a part of it. And I know it means a lot to him that we would be there because, again, for 18 and a half of his 20 years, um, I've been kind of his right-hand man there in Stillwater. And so we thank you for your patience and understanding things like that and uh, giving us some room and allowing us to uh, come on the time frame that works for us. We're not in any way trying to leave Eastside Baptist Church hanging. Um, and we also know, too, that Brother Spencer, it, the timing seems to work for him as well. He's sold his house, and he'll be closing here in a couple of weeks. And, uh, and then uh, I'm thankful that you have one Sunday that you can give uh, them the gratitude and show of respect that, that, that the Spencers, they really deserve. And, um, and I'm praying that the Lord leads the men and leads you to do something very significant for the Spencers um, as, a, as a way of showing the gratitude. They've invested years and years, the, the really the, over half of their lives, to Eastside Baptist Church. And uh, we're thankful that you are already thinking ahead in ways to honor them on that Sunday. I'm, I'm hoping that the 24th is a Sunday they never forget. And, uh, and I know it will be. Um, special to them and you as well. So uh, we'll be there the following week, and Lord willing, and hit the ground running, and we're hoping to have some temperatures above zero when we come back. So if you'll just pray for that, we don't even care about selling the house. We just want some warm weather, so we'll be thankful. Um, Psalm 49, we're going to jump, jump in this morning. If you would, if you have it, if you could stand this morning, and uh, we're going to keep the blood flowing by having you stand and sit and stand and sit. Um, but it's probably good on a morning like this to do that. Psalm number 49, the 49th Psalm. We'll read the whole, the entire Psalm, and then this is a different kind of message in that we're kind of walking through the whole thing this morning, and I think by the end of it we'll have a point that will be a help to us. Psalm 49, it, it reads in verse 1, Hear this, all ye people, give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together, my mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. I will incline mine ear to a parable, I will open my dark saying upon the harp. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? They that trust in their wealth, and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him." For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. That he should still live forever and not see corruption. For he seeth that wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person, person perish, and leave their wealth to others. 
Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man being in honor abideth not, he is like the beasts that perish. This their way is their folly, yet their posterity approve their sayings, Selah. Like sheep they are laid in the grave, death shall feed on them, and the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. And their, beauty sh- uh, their, and their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Selah. I'm going to read that verse again. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Selah. Be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lived, he blessed his soul, and men will praise thee when thou doest well to thyself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. Man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. And you say, what all did we just read? Well, hopefully we'll be able to come away with some some takeaways, some truth. I think that'll help us keep good perspective as children of God this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to, to stand here, and I thank you for your word. And God, I know it has power even if I just stood and read it. It would have power to change our lives and convict, and, and uh, we're asking that you would bless our time in the word this morning that we use it for your glory as we heard in the song before. And we're grateful for the opportunity to hear it and the freedom in this country to stand and deliver it without fear of, of persecution. Lord, I pray that you bless the reading and the preaching this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I read a story recently about a social experiment conducted by Payless Shoes. So do you have a Payless Shoes in Sioux Falls? I don't know if you do. We used to have one in Stillwater. But it closed down, I'm not sure why, but my wife probably could have kept it going just in how, based on how much she spent there. But they wanted, this Payless Shoes wanted to find out how much people would pay for their shoes if they changed the name. So they set up a store there in Beverly Hills, and they, they changed the name from Payless. They rented out a, a, a storefront, um, a, 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 just one shop in a storefront. And they called the name of it, instead of Payless, they called it Pelesi. P-A-L-E-S-S-I. Pelesi. It sounds Italian, right? Like an Italian shoe designer, an Italian brand. And they made it appear to be a luxury brand. They sold, actually, in the one day that they were open, they sold thousands of dollars in shoes in the first few hours. People were spending $200 Four hundred dollars. Some spent over six hundred dollars, only to find out later they were twenty-dollar shoes. So before you get too upset, they actually did give people their money back once once uh, they told them. But Pelesi, that whole social experiment, as crazy as it sounds, it's an indicator that we live in a culture that wants more stuff. We live in a culture that's willing to to pay a lot to get something better, and if they feel like the culture says this will help you achieve a certain status that they'd be willing then to put their money out for it. But the stuff they want, 
doesn't have the value they think it does. See, our culture wants more stuff, but our culture places value on stuff that isn't as valuable as they think it is, which is exactly what was happening in that experiment. Our culture connects personal fulfillment to how much and what kind of stuff you have. And if you're not careful, you and I can become so wrapped up in the material that we lose sight of what has real value. And Psalm 49 deals with this very subject today. And the book of Psalms is a book of songs. They, these psalms were written as songs to either be uh, sung to certain melodies or spoken and accompanied by music. And we aren't given specifics as to the occasion for the writing of this song, but it's apparent that uh, the, uh, in the author's life that he was dealing with some tough circumstances. Look at verse 5. It says, Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil? See, the best we can tell is that the writer is dealing with a wealthy enemy who wanted to do him harm. And as a result, it caused him to experience strong emotion in the form of fear. And we read that he says in verse 5 that he's afraid. Down in verse 16, he says, Be not thou afraid. So obviously, this theme of fear based on what other people have and their prosperity in their lives is kind of driving the author here to write this psalm. Uh, it's difficult, isn't it? And I just want to take an aside here. It's difficult when you've tried to follow God, and yet you find yourselves in tough, in, in self, in tough circumstances, isn't it? It can be difficult when you've tried to do what's right, and you're trying to follow God, and you're trying to follow His Word, and yet you look around you, and you look at the culture around you, and there are people around you that have no desire to, to follow God. They have no desire to pursue righteousness, and actually they're pursuing wickedness, and their lives seem to be going just fine. And I think we have felt that before if you followed the Lord at any length of time in your life. You've probably felt that before. You come to a place where you say, I'm trusting God, yet things aren't good, and I don't understand. And, and you're looking around and you're saying, they're trusting in riches, and they're trusting in riches, and they're living for themselves, and yet things are great for them. And you start to second-guess what you're trusting in. You know, yes, I'm trusting in God, and, and things are good, and maybe I, should, maybe I should transfer my trust and transfer my focus to something that, that can help me like it's helping them. Am I wrong? It's, it's possible to start to be afraid that you have it all wrong, isn't it? When things aren't going well, you start to have fear. And that's what the author has. And he does something, though, in verse 5 that allows him to start operating outside of his emotions. And that is that he reminds himself of what's true. Again, in verse 5, Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? See, we often... Very often, we let our emotions get the best of us, don't we? Have you ever been there before? Now, uh, let me just say this, too. Uh, the, the more responsive you are in preaching, the faster it goes. Because I'm not sure, okay, if I say this and they're not getting it, I wonder if I should repeat what I'm saying. And you don't want me to repeat what I'm saying. So help me out this morning. Be responsive and men say amen. Be responsive and help me out. It's going to just give me a little peace of mind this morning that you're hearing me. But, but we aren't very good at overcoming our emotions, are we? No. And sometimes we, the, our emotions get the best of us. And sometimes we're not very good at seeing clearly 
when we have an emotion like fear or we have an emotion like anger or we're worried about something or we're discouraged about something, when we're experiencing strong emotions about a situation or in this case a person, we must make it a habit to view it from God's perspective. That's why it's important that the Bible is a part of our daily lives. Because we're constantly in conflict, and very often, if I wasn't careful, my emotions, the emotions of my anger at times, the emotions of my fear, the emotions of my discouragement would convince me that things are true that the Bible says are not true. I need this in my life as a balance. And as Brother Chad was talking about this morning in Sunday school, it's not just about checking it off a list. This helps me. It helps you. We need this every day. And very often our emotions get the best of us. And just like the writer here in Psalm 49, if he wasn't careful, he probably would have gone the wrong direction because of the strong emotions that he's feeling at the time. And the songwriter brings things back into perspective by recalling truth. That's what he does. This song makes the case that there's no reason to be afraid of those with riches, or to be afraid that following God is the wrong choice. And it starts with this simple yet profound truth that riches can't help you with the things that matter most. Riches can't help you with the things that matter most. And if you've lived life for any length of time, you start to realize that. There are things in our darkest moments that a pile of money can't touch, but God can Let's walk through the text and maybe see how he makes the case, and then we'll make some application at the end. It says in verse 6, look at it, they that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches. See, trusting in money can't help a person live forever or prevent death. And I read stories all the time about those in, in, in the Silicon Valley, or those with lots of money, they're trying, to, they're trying to cheat old age. They're trying to find the fountain of youth or they're trying to figure out ways to extend their life. And, and they're relying on their money to help them to do that. But relying on money as your source of power can't do anything to help you when it comes to death. Verse 7, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. And that expression means, when it says none of them by any means, it means it's impossible to redeem or is a ransom or payment. There's no amount of wealth that can be used as a bargaining chip with God. Rich people die just like poor people die. They can't take what they possess. They can't buy favor with God to escape death. Their riches don't help them with their biggest problem, which is death. And as a side note, the context here that we're speaking of is talking about death, but the same would be true in redeeming a person's soul for, re for eternity. See, countless religions, and maybe religions that you grew up in, denominations that you're familiar with and that I'm familiar with, those, those, those out there that are teaching um, certain things, they're teaching that, that your works can help you to redeem your soul for eternity. But the Bible says, it's not by works which we have done. For by grace are you saved. Listen, you can't do anything, and I don't know what your background is or what you've been taught, but there's no work that you can perform in your body as a bargaining chip to please God and redeem your own soul. Works can do nothing for it. And so we need to understand that as we go through this, that riches, works, we can't bring anything to God to pay our debt of sin. He paid our debt on the cross and offers us a free gift. 
Sinners have no hope to save themselves from spiritual death apart from the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Look at verse 8. For the redemption of their souls is precious. Now, God considers a life to be too valuable for something as limited as wealth to fix. You know, isn't it interesting? You know, we think, well, you know, if I have enough money, then maybe I can overcome this. But God says that their souls are precious. And what he means is that every life matters to him. And that's a big debate in our day and age, and I'm not going to spend much time on it. You probably know where I'm going. But a child in a womb is as precious to God as a healthy 30-year-old man. A child in the womb is a soul that is precious to God. And what God is saying by not allowing somebody to bring riches to redeem their soul, what God is saying is, no, 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 a soul is far too valuable for something like money to be able to buy. A soul is far too valuable for something as temporary as riches to be able to redeem. And we need to understand that's how God looks at a life. He looks at his soul as precious in verse 8, at the end of the verse, it says the redemption of their souls is soul is precious and it ceaseth forever. And that means it will always be insufficient. Money will always be insufficient to redeem a soul. Money will always be insufficient to save somebody from death. It will never be enough. It ceaseth forever. There's nothing it can do. Look down at verse 10. It says, For he seeth that wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. This is talking about the rich, the rich, those that have money. And it's saying even the rich know their wealth can't prevent their death. They know their riches will someday pass on to somebody else. And this is the part that stands out to me. Here in verse 10, it makes it clear that those trusting in riches, they see the limitations of their riches but it doesn't change how they think about their riches. If you were to ask a rich person, can, a rich, can your riches solve your problem of death? Then you know what they would say if they're, if they're reasonable? They would say, no, it can't do anything to help my problem with death. But they're still living their lives to attain all the riches that they can. And that's what these verses are talking about. Saying they know it, that it has no effect on them. They know it can't help them. They know it doesn't have the answers for them, but they're still going to live as if it is the answer. Look at verse 11. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. See, even in knowing they can't take their wealth with them, they still have some twisted view of all that they have. Even though it won't last forever, they act as though it will. They think their houses will continue forever, or they assume that their houses will continue forever. They assume that their families will always be sustained by what they've acquired. They act as though they can somehow escape the effects of death by building up their piles of wealth and money, but it doesn't really change reality. Look at verses 16 and 17, down toward the end. Be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. They don't get to take it with them after they die. Whatever praise or whatever glory a rich man gets now won't matter later. You know, I'm thinking about men that are famous for being rich. You know, I mean, I think of Bill Gates. 
And I think about all the money a man like him who's made money in the computer industry has. And um, who's the guy from Amazon? Bezos or um, those guys? They're multi-billionaires. But when they die, they'll die just like me, and I'm I'm not even a millionaire. And I think of Steve Jobs, who had all the money and everything he could ever have wanted and he was a fascinating man. If you've read his book, he's a fascinating man. But, but he, did, he died unsaved. And all that money that he assumed would be the answer for everything he ever dealt with in life couldn't help him overcome cancer. And we need to understand, we need perspective this morning. Because sometimes we live in a, well, we live in a culture that sometimes convinces us that if we just had more, we could be happy. And if I just had a little bit more, that I could be content. And, and while the rich get all the attention and all the praise and, and, and all these things, the accolades, and they have great vacations, and they have the nicest homes, and they're secure for the rest of their lives, when they die, they die just like you and I do. And look back at verse 13. We're coming to the point here. This their way is folly. Yet their posterity approved their sayings. See, it's foolish for a man to think that money can save him from the grave, or that his name will carry on, or that his possessions will guarantee security. And that mindset is the folly of the rich, and it seems to be obvious. But the second half of that verse says, their posterity approved their sayings. It means that they pass the mindset down even to the next generation. See, they may acknowledge that it doesn't last forever, but they live as though it will, and they've passed that mindset on. In other words, this is a mindset that's perpetuating in our culture. Their posterity, those that come behind them, approve their sayings, they live the same way. And when you have this mindset, then people see the mindset, and those coming behind us, they start having the mindset too. And it just starts going. And honestly, this mindset is still existing today. It's been, it's been in, throughout history, this mindset has existed. It's just as true in 2019 as it was back then. And it's still true today in our culture all the time. You hear people saying things like, well, money can't buy happiness. And the best things in life, well, the best things in life aren't things. But you can't tell by watching people live, can you? See, just watching our culture operate would make you think that money can buy happiness. And the best things in life are the things. And if you don't have money and things and more, that you can't be happy. And the context of this psalm is not much different than our culture. The message today is that your life's success is connected to the things that you possess. The stuff is what matters the most. And you know, it's called materialism. You've probably heard that term before. Materialism means that there's a tendency to consider the material possessions and the physical comfort of our lives as more important than spiritual things. Well, could we say that that's true in our culture? That the material has risen to the top and the spiritual has been set aside? Absolutely we could. That's what materialism means. It all, material also is as a philosophy, it's the doctrine that nothing exists except matter. Material, matter. And it, 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 nothing exists except matter and its movements and modifications. Materialism is when the most important thing is what you possess and the enjoyment of comfort. It's the philosophy that what you see matters the most. What a faulty view of life. See, if you place the most value on things you can see, 
you have an ungodly worldview. And this psalm applies today just like it did then. We live in a world that ascribes the highest value to the things that we can see or hold or touch, something with matter. And as of the obsession, our obsession with, with stuff increases, there's a, an equally distrib- or disturbing trend in the opposite direction that as we're, our, our infatuation with stuff is increasing, our interest in spiritual things is decreasing. So you can't serve, the Bible says, Jesus said it, you can't serve God and mammon. See, if I'm holding on to the stuff and the stuff of this world, that with matter, that with material, if I'm holding on to it, I naturally cannot be holding on to the things of God at the same time. As my infatuation with stuff increases, my interest in the spiritual decreases. It happens every time. The things money can't buy become afterthoughts. You know, the, as people maybe spend most of their time trying to figure out, and you've been there probably before, you've seen people that are there, people spend their whole lives trying to make more money, to get more stuff, to buy nicer clothes, to go on better trips, to move into bigger homes, to buy bigger garages for their nicer cars, that will take them to their better paying jobs, that will earn them more money, that will get them nicer cars and houses, and it's a cycle that never ends. And all these things that you, are things you can see, those things that are made of matter, material, and they are what motivate most people their whole lives. But let me remind you of what we just read in Psalm 49. I have tried to build this case that we live in a culture that loves the material, and they want more, and they've got to have more, and even though it doesn't really satisfy, they think it does. Let me just help you come to the point where you understand, yes, we live in a culture of materialism. Yes, everybody wants more. But I just want to remind you what this passage is saying. That you don't get to take any of it with you. All that you can accumulate, that you can hold in your hands, that you can touch, that you can carry, you don't get to take it with you. You leave it all behind. And here's the reality. If it's made of matter, if you can see it and touch it, it's temporary. Money, you don't get to take it with you. Possessions, they'll eventually deteriorate or become someone else's. Your clothing, you only get to wear a new suit once. After that, it's not new anymore. And you're, I mean, if you're like me, I go through clothes like that, either because of uh, you know, my seasons of heaviness or because they get worn out. And you know, that thing that you think will make you happy if you get to wear it, it's only new one time and then it starts to wear out. Your home. We built a home a few years ago. I'm telling you, it's amazing how, how fast five children can cause a home to, to fall into disrepair. We are, the, when we were listing our home to be sold um, this year, just a few weeks ago, the day the realtor was coming to take pictures, one of our children put a hole in the wall, in the drywall, hours before she got there. So we, so we found a plant and a table and strategically placed it. <laughs> it was perfect. But you know, it's just a reminder, all this investment we have in our house, I mean, it's full of holes. We don't get to take it with us. 
And someday that house at 2917 Macy Lynn will either deteriorate to, the, deteriorate to the point where you don't see it anymore or it'll belong to somebody else. It'll fall into disrepair. It's not new forever. That vehicle that you think will make you happy. And I like new cars. I like the smell and I like the fact that I don't have to fix them because I'm not very good at it. Thankfully, I know some men in here that are. But you know, it doesn't take long for a car to start falling apart, does it? That job that you've always thought would fulfill you, you're not going to work there forever. That body that you have, you can't stop it from aging. In our culture, like those in Psalm 49, those are the things that our culture ascribes the most value to. And in the end, that which matters the most is set aside. The mindset that many are buying into is that that which is temporary is essential, and that which is permanent is optional. That which is, 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 is temporary is essential, but that which is permanent is optional. My wife and I, just yesterday, we went over to uh, a gym here to run on the treadmill because, believe it or not, we're not acclimated enough to run outside yet. So we went over to, someone recommended the Sanford Wellness place over here. And guess what? Everybody in Sioux Falls had the same idea at the same time. Because we walked in there, and there were hundreds of people all working on their bodies. And we walked in, and we were trying to find two treadmills next to each other. And I I would really prefer that her treadmill is far away from me, so I'm not embarrassed. But, because she far outpaces me. Okay, so... We found two together, and we get on it, and I was just thinking, you know what? The Sanford Wellness Place over there at 49th and Oxbow was way fuller than Eastside Baptist Church is this morning. And it's a reflection of the fact that we live in a culture that's much more interested in the temporary than they are in the permanent. Because this morning, we're talking about things that matter, that last forever. We're talking about God. We're talking about our spirit. We're talking about the souls of people. We're talking about things that will last forever. Every person in this room will live somewhere forever, either in heaven or separated from God in a place called hell. And yet, in churches all across our country today, there are far fewer people sitting in pews than there are that are working on their bodies at gyms all over the place. They've become, uh, we've become a culture that says the temporary is essential. The permanent, eh, that's optional. And you can see it everywhere we go in our culture. And unfortunately, you see it in a lot of lives of Christians as well. There's Pelesi stores everywhere. I mean, not really, but really. And that they're trying to get you to get something that you think has great value, but in the end, it's cheap. It doesn't last. And I just want to remind you of a verse this morning that might change your perspective. And that is verse 15. Let's look at that again. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Selah. Listen, When everything temporary disappears, 
And when all the things that money can buy or people can own or drive or live in or wear, when the job ends and friends are gone and the praise of men disappears and you come to the end of your life and all that you've ever seen, that which is temporary, begins to fade, including the face that you've looked in the mirror at for 80 years, what will you have left? The only thing that matters in that moment is what God offers you that no one else can offer you, and that is the ability to overcome the power of death. No one else can offer that to you. You won't find it under a tree. You won't find it on Amazon or Costco. You won't find it in your driveway with a big red bow on it at Christmas morning. God offers you something you'll never find anywhere else. The ability to overcome your greatest problem, which is sin and death. And when it says, God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, the word power comes from a Hebrew word translated as hand most of the time in the Old Testament. And the idea is that the power or hand of death has a firm grip on the average person. It does. And death rules over mankind with absolute control. It's an enemy that's never been defeated. And something temporary like riches or property or houses or stuff has no power against the hand of death. So again, I want you to get the picture. My hand represents the power of death and your body is inside of it. And if you have a nice house and it comes at it, it still can't conquer death. And if you have a nice car and it's trying to open the fingers of death, it can't. It has a strict hold on your life. All the money in the world can't come and pull, pry the fingers of death away from around your body. All of those things cease forever when it comes to the power of death. None of them can by any means redeem. It's going to take something much more permanent to overcome an enemy as strong as death. And if you're trusting in the temporary things, they are powerless to overcome the power of death. But there's a second category of people in this psalm. Those who trust in the permanent. Those who trust in God. Those don't have to succumb to the power of death. You see, because God, as creator, is the only one with power over what seems like the undefeated enemy. And nothing you see, your riches, whatever you throw at it, your wealth, your possessions, your job, your house, your car, all of that, your charisma, your looks, your natural ability with people, it's all temporary and it can't overcome the grip of death. But listen, friend, God is not temporary. God is permanent. His power is not fleeting. His power has always existed and it always will forever. He's eternal, everlasting, and permanent. And verse 15 says, He shall receive me. Meaning, yes, death's hand is strong, but when someone trusts in God, that which is permanent and enduring, His hand is stronger. It says, He shall receive. Or, you could say it this way, He shall receive or take me from the clutches of death. Because his hand is stronger. And that which has a hold that we thought we could never overcome, death, God can pry its fingers open and take your life and your soul and place it in his own hand. And listen, Jesus Christ said in John 10, no man shall pluck them out of my hand. 
No man shall take them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Nobody will ever overcome the clutches of God's hand around your soul. It is permanent. It is strong. It is powerful. It's not fleeting and temporary like all the stuff that you see. That's how strong God is. And those who trust in God instead of riches enjoy a permanent, eternal home in heaven and perfect fellowship with the Father forever. And in case you have doubts about God's ability in this area, 2,000 years ago, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for your soul. He was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, died in Jerusalem to overcome man's greatest spiritual enemy, which is sin. And on the third day, physical death, that everyone thought no one could overcome, well, Jesus Christ, God's Son, on the third day said, physical death has no power over me. He shall receive me. And he pried the fingers of death away from the sin of mankind. He overcame death himself and gave us victory over our greatest enemies, which is our sin and physical death. We serve a God who has power over death. We serve a God whose son died on a cross for you and by rising again proves that he has the power to overcome your greatest problems. We had broken God's law. Therefore, we're not qualified to spend eternity in heaven with God. But Jesus Christ, when he died on our place on that cross to pay for our sins, gives us the opportunity to be reconciled with God and spend eternity in heaven with him. And that act that confirmed his true power was not just that he was born of a virgin. It's not just that he did miracles. It's not just that he died on the cross. The act that confirmed his power was when three days after he died, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, forever proving his enduring permanent power over the strong grip of death. And I just want to remind you this morning, in a culture that is fleeting and temporary and things that seem, that, that they seem so important, but they don't last at all, you've got one thing you can count on, and that is you have a God who has power over death. He shall redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. You know what? I have the benefit of reading that verse knowing Christ rose from the dead 2,000 years later. But the man that wrote this, he was writing it by faith. He hadn't witnessed Jesus Christ rise from the dead. He hadn't heard the stories yet. But in his own mind, he knew how strong God was. And he was thinking, if God is as powerful as it seems like he is, then maybe even death, God can overcome. And listen, you have a choice to make. What we're talking about today is the temporary or the permanent. See, the temporary is all this stuff. That the culture says you've got to have an experience and, and you've got to you know, enjoy. If you want life, you've got to have all this stuff. Or you've got God on the other side. And that stuff over there can't help you with death and sin, but you serve a God that can. So you've got temporary versus permanent. And so my question this morning is you have a choice to make. You can either spend your life on the temporary or you can invest your life in the permanent. So what are you investing your life in? When it comes down to your time, does most of it go to gaining the temporary things? 
Maybe your life is lived just to work and earn money so that you can buy what you need that you think is going to make you happy and you want more and you've got to have a nicer car and you've got to pay for the things that you want. Is that what you're spending your life doing? Do you spend your time and energy as if the temporary things matter the most? Are you going into debt so you can keep up with the culture and uh, maybe even though only to lie awake at night trying to figure out how you're going to pay for all of it? Talk about a a cultural problem, huh? See, our culture so convinced us that we need this stuff over here that we'll go out and use somebody else's money to buy it and be in debt our whole lives. When in the end, that stuff doesn't help me with that which was permanent. See, the temporary could also be, maybe it's not stuff, maybe it's some circumstance in your life. And I understand that everybody goes through something hard. And there's difficulty in this room. There's people that represent some struggle, some health issue, or, or, or some financial issue, or, or some relationship issue. And those circumstances seem so big. But let me just remind you, just like the, psalm, the psalmist, we can become so worried or afraid of a situation that we can't control that we stop trusting God and we focus on the temporary. Don't elevate the temporary into the place of the permanent. If the eternal God has power to help you conquer death, is there anything over here that he won't have power over? If he can handle death, he can handle anything. So today, my challenge to you is to make your life about the things that last. When it comes to God, invest your your life in the permanent. Put the things of God first. Put put your personal relationship with God first because you're investing in something that matters, something that lasts. And I don't mean, just like we heard in Sunday school, I don't mean just a checklist. I mean open the Bible in the mornings and try to seek God's face. Have a relationship with Him. Seek Him. Seek His Word. pray Pray to Him and get to know Him like you would a relationship with someone else. You're investing in things that matter when you do that. But not just in your personal relationship. I think of this place, Eastside Baptist Church. And I think a a place like this doesn't exist if there aren't people willing to invest their lives in the permanent. I'm looking around and I see a good group of people here. And I'm telling you, it does my heart good to see you sitting here. I mean, I can't see all of you way back there, but I mean, the fact that you're here, I'm thankful. I'm glad. And I look at this building, I think, wow. This building is here because there are men and women willing to invest in the permanent. Because I guarantee this building represents a lot of sacrifices made. There were some vacations that probably someone didn't take to give to this. And there was a a nicer car someone didn't buy so that we could have something like this. There was Dr. Pepper, not drunk. (laughs) So that we can enjoy a building like this. You know what I'm saying? There was a lot of investment in the permanent to enjoy something like this. But there are still people, and I, I would imagine plenty of people even in this room right now, that are investing most of their time and energy and resources and the things that in the end aren't going to matter. And yet you have a church here with plenty of places to serve. 
and plenty of jobs that need to be done? Are you going to invest in something that matters so that when you stand before your Savior someday, He looks and says, well done, you gave your life to things that matter? Or is He going to say, depart from me? Or you could have done so much more, but you gave your life to those things that don't matter. So yes, invest your things in the life, in something that matters, in God, in the life of this church. But I also think of people. You know, people will exist forever somewhere. Every person in this room, in one million years, every person in this room will be alive somewhere. And I would hope that in a million years, most of us are enjoying the, 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 the joys of heaven together. There's some in this room this morning probably that in a million years will be in a place the Bible calls hell. Because you chose to give yourself to the things that are temporary rather than the things that are permanent. And when you had a choice on a morning like this, March 3rd, 2019, you said, yes, the permanence there, I know, but, but I, can't, I really can't give myself to that just yet. And I'm praying this morning that if you've lived your life for the temporary, you'll see what really matters in the end. And you'll come and you'll say, God, if you sent your son to die on a cross for my sins, I want to invest right now, my choice is, in the cross. I want to to make the choice for Christ today. Because my sin leads me only to the things that fade away. But the cross leads me to something permanent. And then the people in our lives. We can get really caught up in all the busyness. And we can forget that there are people all around us that are permanent. And we can get to the point where we get so wrapped up in life that we forget, no, this person will be alive for eternity somewhere. So when we're walking around and we're at at the grocery store or we're at the convenience store, we're getting gas or we see somebody, some stranger on the street, let's invest just a moment of compassion on their lives and invite them to church and tell them about the Lord because they are permanent. I'm thinking about my own children and how often I can get so wrapped up in what I'm doing that I forget to invest in my children's lives and yet they matter for eternity. The people around us, our children, spouses, our our husbands, our wives, our family, the people in this church, Maybe it's time that we stop giving ourselves to all the temporary stuff. And we start again investing in the things that matter. Well, I want to stand before God with something with substance in my hands. Rewards that I can offer back to Him. I don't want to live my life and stand before Him with empty hands. I want something that matters. And I'm afraid that most of us give ourselves to things. Our days, our schedules, our time and effort and energy we're giving to these things over here. And in the end, it has no value. Maybe we just need to be reminded again that there is only one who has power over the grave. There's only one who can help me with my sin problem. And maybe I should just start living for him again. Because in the end... What's over here is all that matters.
We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.